But we're uh, moving into our teaching now, just kicking off this fast. Um, we're going to go ahead and pray first and then uh, get into it. Lord, uh, our minds are flooded with uh, different thoughts and perspectives and various views that we've had on fasting, whether it's through the media or secular sources, um, things we've seen in history, um, things we've seen even in the past in this church. And and Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would shape us and inform our understanding to that of a biblical um, view of fasting, Lord. And, and as we do that, would you call... Um, the church to fast today. Today is really when the trumpet is sounding and a fast is consecrated here in Prineville, that we would seek you, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would show you how much we long for you. And so as we uh, just come with joy on our hearts and, and, uh, and also at the same time, uh, perhaps mourning on our hearts, mourning over sin, mourning over pride, mourning over national sin and and just uh, many other things lord um lord we pray that you would move and meet us here as we just respond to these um, sacred grievances in our life or sacred situations uh, for your glory god we worship you we love you in jesus name amen amen so uh today we begin uh, and have begun, I know there's a little confusion, do we start tonight? And, and uh, the idea was we would begin before church this morning uh, for our week of fasting and prayer. It might look different for you than for the person sitting next to you. Um, of course, there's the, the total fast, which would be just water, um, you know, that uh, maybe some of you just, you're, you're wanting to press into the Lord and, and grow in a deep relationship with him. And so uh, for you this week, maybe the Lord has just said, hey, just water this week for you. Others might be doing more of a Daniel fast where it's just vegetables this week. Others um, may be doing what's a complete fast as we read in the book of Esther and, uh, and we see in Moses's life and Elijah's life. That's uh, no water, no food for about three days. You know, there's just something in your life that is so, such a need. It's so urgent, uh, whether it's a sin that you just know needs to be dealt with and gone away or, or maybe a healing or a situation in our community. And you would just say, man, it's this serious. It's this, Lord, this much. We need you this much. And so the, there would be no water, um, no food for a period. Doctors recommend about three days max on something like that. For others, uh, it might be fasting from media of various kinds. We have our social media that just kind of rules our lives these days and, and kind of sits on our Blackberries or our iPhones, you know, just never droids too. Don't want to leave you guys out. Uh, for, uh, you know, every minute we're just on our devices and on our iPads and on our computers and updating our statuses and, and just God isn't able to get in and speak to us anymore. Uh, in those times, we're just distracted, we're consumed uh, with television all day long. The, the, the tube is just on. Oh, do we call it the tube anymore? The plasma, I guess, is what it is now. It's just on uh, all day long, all night long, till we go to bed. Sometimes even we fall asleep with it on. And, and uh, this week, we would just fast from various activities, fast from various people, various types of um, music. Or, or, you know, for you, you've got to have that Starbucks 
uh, at least once a day. And maybe for you, it's, that's part of it this week. I know I uh, have sat down quite a few times with my kids this week and been explaining fasting and, and just asking them, what would the Lord have you fast from? I remember last year, Russell said, I'm going to fast from sin. Uh, no, I'm going to sin more, you know. And, and so uh, just cool to see in the last year him growing. And, and uh, now he's going to fast uh, for a little brother or sister as we're praying and, and pressing in this week about adoption. And, and so is Lainey, you know, and um, fasting from candy one day, fasting from just, I mean, they, they're on our media devices as much as we are. And just like, let's, we're going to put those down today and we're going to press in. And every time you want candy or every time you want hot chocolate, hot milky, you know, it's like their heroin in the morning or every time, you know, uh, let's pray for Jesus, for Saeed to be freed or for, for uh, our, our, the Lord to open up a door for adopting a little boy or a little girl or for God to deliver us from sin and rebellion and bring power in our life and or revival in our church or in our community. And so, uh, you know, teaching our children, it's a teachable moment uh, for our kids this week. And I encourage you to uh, let your children be a part of this. Is Joel chapter two, when that trumpet is sounded and the fast is called, it says, bring out the children. Uh, in Second Chronicles 20, all Judah fasted with the men, the women, the children. In Nehemiah, just uh, as they gathered to read the word as we're going to do, all that had understanding, they were there as the reading was, was spoken. And so uh, I encourage you to bring your wives, bring your kids, bring your newborn babies. Uh, and uh, it's going to be an exciting week. God has been so faithful in the past to meet us. And we're excited for what he's going to do uh, this week. And so as we get into the word this morning, I just encourage you, um, you know, <clears throat> cool, great talking to some people this week who are very real and very open, and, and that's what we want here. Uh, we don't want the hypocrites. We want the real, open, vulnerable people. And a couple of people just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm kind of rebelling against this right now. I'm just, I, I don't want to do this. Um, my flesh doesn't want to do it, and, and, you know, you're calling the church to do it, and I, I feel like I wouldn't do it if the rest of the church wasn't called to do it. And so I just, you know, and, and we just got to encourage this individual, and I know it's in more than one person's heart here, um, you know, that, man, what do we not do that if it wasn't, you know, if I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl because it's not, you know, it's corporately called out, right? Let's go watch the Super Bowl or let's be here on a Sunday because corporately we're called <clears throat> to gather on a Sunday. You're part of the core discipleship groups because we're calling people to be a part of that. And there's, there's a beautiful thing in our community. We do things together. There's times to fast separately. There's times to fast corporately. This is one of those times. Uh, but, you know, even beyond that, I just have sensed there's in some just a heart of rebellion. Just, no, I'm just not. And I'm, you know, and, and you're kicking against the goads. You're kicking against the Lord, calling in you into a time where he wants to just change your life and work in your life radically. Uh, one woman spoke out in our home group that, uh, you know, she hears the shepherds of the church calling us to fast and she wants to you know hear and obey and listen to the leaders as they're listening to the lord calling the church to fast and she's just like i just know god is gonna move and, and she said something and i go Lindsay, write that down write down what she said and she said don't pass me by She's like, Lord, I don't want you to pass me by. You're going to move this week, and I don't want to just be sitting on the sidelines. I don't want to miss out. Don't pass me by. Let me be part of what you're going to do this week. And so 
I say all that to those of you that are a little bit on the, the hesitant side or the resistant side. And, and, and you know, maybe you're here today and you're not to be a part of this fast. And, and what I would ask you, though, is in this teaching uh, today to just be in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, not planning on fasting this week, not planning on being a part of it, um, just maybe haven't even thought of it. Maybe I'm just coming up here and all, what, we're fasting? What's that all about, you know? Um, that you would just say, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, what do you want in my life? Lead me today. How I'm to be part of this fast. Um, you know, I'm open, Lord, here I am. I want to be obedient. Uh, we're going to have a quick testimony uh, from Jesse Martinez. Uh, last week we heard from the Hibbs girls, uh, the mom and one of the daughters, Cheryl and uh, Courtney, shared their testimonies of what God's done in their life in fasting. Jesse Martinez this week is just going to come share a little of what God's done in his life through fasting. So come on up, brother. He's normally a second service guy, so we got to thank him for showing up early just to talk with us today. <laughs> Well, the Lord's already answering a prayer because I didn't trip on the way up, so <laughs> we're good. Uh, um, I'm Jesse. Um, some of you I recognize, some I don't. Um, last year, when they started the fast, uh, you know, I heard there was a couple sermons before leading up to the fast about fasting. Uh, where I was at was, you know, basically fast smashed, you know. So I didn't really hear those first couple sermons when I was here. You know, the couple weeks leading to the fast, uh, I wasn't going to fast. Fasting is not what I do. I eat, and as you can see, you know. So uh, I kind of, I like my food, you know. And, uh, you know, I was going through a time in my life uh, right then. I was on a job that was just financially bankrupting us. Um, <clears throat> you have to excuse me if I get emotional. I'm, uh, I got allergies, so no. <laughs> um, so uh, it, was, it, was, it was breaking us. There was a lot of problems, um, stuff unforeseen, and it was just a struggle. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, when we left Sunday, I went over to Aurora where I was working, and, you know, and then uh, Aaron called me, and he's like, hey, are you fasting? And I was like, no, I, no, I'm not, you know. And then we talked a little bit about other stuff, and then after I got off the phone, it was just kind of like God was laying it on my heart to, that I need to fast, you know, and... Uh, and that I need to be close with him again. Like, I wanted to be close with God like I was when my wife left me. I, I was just so at peace, yet I was broken, broken to just unreal points. Some of you guys remember, I was just, uh, just, a, just a blubbering ball, just emotional. And <clears throat> I wanted that again, but I didn't want to have to have my wife leave to get it. So, so I fasted, you know, and... Uh, Monday it went by, and Tuesday and Wednesday, and I was just still dealing with all these struggles at work, everything going wrong at every turn we did, and it, it was tough. And then come Wednesday night, I was, I was laying down in the apartment I was staying in and stuff, and my wife was talking to me, and we just, it just, it did not go well. I was hungry. I was tired, you know. Uh, Satan was just tempted me to just blow up and be that, just that same ball of anger that I was to my wife before. I mean, that's what he does. You know, uh, when uh, Jesus was fasting for 40 days, he was tired and hungry. That's when Satan tempted him. That's when we're vulnerable, you know. And that's when I was vulnerable. And uh, I blew up on my wife. I cussed at her and I hung up, you know. And then that next morning, I just didn't sleep. That next morning, I was just like, come on, God. I'm doing this for you. Where are you? You said you would be here, 
You know, I'm fasting for you. You know, I, I hear all these people that got the morning service to go to the afternoon, the evening. I'm here alone, you know, and this is Thursday and it's just an overwhelming, just the feeling came upon me. It's like, dude, it's Thursday. You haven't ate. I've been here with you the whole time, you know, and it, you've already made it this long. Those next couple days were a breeze. Things, things started to go together. I mean, work was still work, but I, I was fine with it. I was comfortable because God had came in and he, he'd, you know, he'd made me fine with what was going on in my life at that time. And, uh, and it was tough. It was tough for us. You know, everything we had worked for the last five or six years, we had just lost, you know. Um, and so, so by the end of it, you know, I, I came in, I'd, I'd, I'd had the peace that, you know, God had promised us. And it was like, look, dude, you, you eat, that's what you do. You've made it seven days in me without eating think of what you can do with the rest of your life in me and in christ you know and and so i i I, you know i that's kind of the end of it but i kind of leave you guys with this um when uh adam ate the fruit in the garden of the tree of knowledge god called out to him it's one of the first questions god said in the bible he said adam where are you where are you and, and so I ask you, are you guys living in a place where there's something in your life that you can't give up, something that has been bothering you, a struggle, a sin, uh, an ailment, something, something that has just been getting you for a week, a month, a year, your whole life? Well, I'm here to tell you God is asking, he is calling out to you, where are you? And, and you can find him if you just seek him and trust in him that he will be there and he will provide everything you need to get through it. Through him, there's hope. So that's all I got. So. I texted Jesse yesterday and said, hey, can you use some of your funny voices when you're sharing? And um, You know, I remember last year, um, I can't remember if it was during the fast or right after when Jesse called me and shared what, um, God had done that week in his life and that trial there in the apartment and everything. And, and I love what he said, though. He told me that last year. He's like, man, when you were teaching, I was like, ah, fast smash, you know, <laughs> like, what? I don't need that. What are you talking about? And um, so neat to see the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit that compelled him to fast. And that's what we desire here is the Holy Spirit moving you to fast this week. I don't want you know, any messages to feel condemning towards you or that, you know, you're manipulated to fast. That is not our heart. If you've been picking up on that at all, that's, that's not from us. That's the enemy trying to work that in you. Um, you know, the, the Psalms say that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain who build it. Um, and when we don't want to make Calvary Chapel, you know, man's work and we've built this, just, and we want this to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the Lord would move you in some capacity to be a part of what God's doing at this church. You see on the screen, <clears throat> says that uh, in this week, we're going to be reading together Genesis through Ruth. Uh, that we're going to be getting together three times a day, uh, starting tonight. So just tonight, we'll meet at 6 p.m. here at the church, and we're going to read Genesis 1 through 14 together in a in a large reading circle. Such a powerful time. We're going to worship. We're going to let the word guide our prayer time tonight together and uh, read 14 chapters of Genesis. And then uh, beginning tomorrow, three times a day, 
during these weekdays, uh, 6 a.m., 12 noon, and 6 p.m. So before you go to work, come join us and just read the word. Uh, come at your lunch break. Um, we have flyers in the foyer as you're going out that have the schedule of our reading. Uh, so if you have to miss the noon reading or miss the morning, you can still know where we're at and be reading on your own time and, uh, and just come either to the evening session or something like that. But uh, one of the beautiful things about our week together is that we're, we have each other in it. And that's such a wonderful thing is to come and to uh, be, you know, uh, gathering three times a day. We all know how we're feeling. We're able to pray for each other, press in, encourage each other. Um, and so we encourage you, don't, don't try to do this on your own this week. This week, God's calling us corporately uh, to fast and to, uh, and to pray together. So um, some people think that fasting is just what monks do. Monks fast. That's kind of their job title, right? Or uh, maybe Hare Krishnas or Muslims during Ramadan or uh, other people who dress strange. You know, John the Baptist seemed to be a kind of guy that fasted a lot and he wore camel skin. And if he ate, he ate you know, bugs and things like that. Uh, so we kind of have this picture in America of people that fast. They're a little bit odd, a little bit strange. Or, or, or we think of, you know, uh, Hindu Gandhi, you know, in India who uh, fasted for uh, as a sense of a hunger strike in a sense uh, so that uh, Britain would free India and India would be independent. <clears throat> and uh, fasting, it is practiced in the secular realm, it's practiced in all societies and in a lot of different religions and over the centuries. Um, Non-religious people fast for political reasons. So, uh, you know, why should Christians uh, participate in this self-discipline? Are we just trying to be like the world or even like the cults? Uh, well, we have the word of God as our authority. We have the word of God as our example. And we see that it's an incredible tool of worship. It's an incredible avenue of entering into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Tim Keller said, fasting is a Christian's voluntary absence from food or drink for spiritual purposes. So already something that sets us apart from so many is we're doing it for spiritual purposes. Purposes, it includes the, or can include on a broader sense, voluntary absence from any normal function for a specified period of a time for the purpose of seeking God and calling out for more of God. Uh, Jesus didn't have to tell his disciples that fasting was normal, a normal thing, a normal part of their life. For them, it was a normal thing to do. Um, but for us, we have this strange phobia of fasting that we would ask the Lord to remove uh, today as we look at the word. Now, don't be uh, confused. Food is a good thing, all right? Uh, food is... Um, <clears throat> Wonderful, created by God. Uh, and on the same hand, fasting can be bad, all right? So uh, in our fasting week, we're not saying food is bad and fasting is good. We're, we're saying that uh, either one can be distorted. Either one can be uh, abused. Uh, food is good and can be good. Feasting is good. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, 
do it for the glory of God. And so we can use our feasting times. Last night, we had a ice cream social and pie, con- or a pie eating contest the night before a week of fasting. Very interesting on our calendar planning meeting. No. And uh, I think it was the Lord. I feel great this morning. Hold on a second. Um, okay. I think I might have a blood sugar high, actually. But, uh, you know, feasting is good and can be a time of worship. Uh, In fact, God created bread so that we could have some idea of what his son said when he said, I am the bread of life. We understand what he means there. We've been created to be eating people. God could have certainly created us to like never need food. We just like survive on just nothing, you know, Um, and yet he created us to be feasters uh, so that we could understand he is sufficient. He is the one that we long for. He is the one that we crave. We get cravings now. You know, when he says, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. Well, we know what it's like to thirst. We understand longing. And so we can say, then I want to drink of you, Jesus. Bread and food magnifies Christ in a couple different ways. In one way, when we eat it, we eat it with gratitude for his grace and his goodness upon our life. When we forfeit it, it's for hunger for him instead and for him alone. When we eat, one man said, we taste the emblem of the heavenly food. And so every time we eat, every time we enjoy flavors, it's just a a picture of our heavenly food, our heavenly fulfillment, our heavenly sustenance. And anytime we fast, like this week, we say, I love the reality more than the emblem. This week, that's what we're saying. I love the reality. I love the bread of life. I love the, the spring and the fountain of living water more than I love the stuff that points to it. Bread, you know, food, soup, water, Starbucks, everything with flavor, everything with pep. It all shows the flavor and the pep of the heavenly one, Jesus Christ. And so something that can be a tool of worship can so quickly be, be made a God and, and we become gluttonous and we worship food and we look to it for comfort. We look to it to get us through the day. We look to it for joy. Paul would say of the pagans that their God is their belly. And so quickly we can morph into that and become idolaters and begin to worship our belly. On the same sense, Fasting is good, and we are going to look this at this today, uh, how great fasting is and can be, these times with the Lord. But even fasting can be distorted. It could even become a God or the means of self-righteousness. John Piper said the danger of eating is that we can so quickly fall in love with the gift, and the danger of fasting is that we could belittle the gift and say, food is bad. No, remember, it's a gift. We still remember that this week. And, and in the error there, we become glorying and worshiping in our willpower in fasting. And that's wrong. That's a wrong heart of fasting. 
Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that there's uh, in the end times, and he has spread, the Spirit of God is saying that in the end times, some will depart from the faith and they'll command that you can't eat food that God created to be received with thanksgiving. And Paul refutes that and argues against that and say every, he says, every creature of God is food, or is good or food. And nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so in either side, we don't want to overlook the gift that God's given us in food and the gift that God's given us in fasting. We don't want to err on the side where we become gluttons and worship food. And we don't want to err on the side of fasting that we become self-righteous or, um, or we rejoice in our own willpower or we look to it in, to get praise from man for our extraordinary self-discipline. Uh, as we severely treat our body this week, we're reminded that it could perhaps just feed our flesh with more self-reliance. And we want to combat that in prayer this week and continually, continually say that we don't rely even on our own strength. We rely on the strength of the Lord to get us through this fast. We rely on his power and his presence, that that is enough to sustain us. To kill our flesh and to kill our carnal nature is not a simple matter of denial and discipline and fasting in and of ourselves, but rather it's much deeper than that. It's an internal spiritual matter. That's what we're working towards this week is drawing near to God and finding more contentment in Christ than we would ever find in any matter out of this world, any food or any water. In 1 Corinthians 8, 8, we read that food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, or if we do not eat, are we the worse. And so already, if you've entered into this fast with the thought of, I'm better now because I'm fasting, God looks at me better, or he's giving me more favor because I'm fasting, that's works-based, all right? We are always uh, just accepted and pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. It's the beauty of grace. And so we do look, though, this week at being a disciple, and there is that good form of self-discipline that we see in the scriptures. One preacher said that not doing some things you feel like doing is the daily pattern for the disciples of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, we're constantly coming across things where we feel like doing them. They will be oh so sweet and satisfying to our flesh. And yet the Spirit of God tells us, no, I don't have this for you. Or the Word of God says, no, this is sin. And so we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through those tempting times and to discipline us in those areas. Jesus says it's a daily thing in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So discipline and being a disciple uh, it's, it's full of self-discipline. All throughout the New Testament, Paul speaks of this. And in one case, he says, I discipline my body, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. 
I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Man, that's always a warning for me. I, always, I don't want to just preach and tell you all to do. I want to look at the word and I want to be obedient to the word. And I want to discipline myself. I don't want to be disqualified for a lack of pressing in to the Lord. And it's funny though, this one man said, this is a non-injurious translation here. And I like what a literal translation of this verse is. He says, Paul says, I give my body the black eye. All right, you catch that? I give my body the black eye and make it a slave. The word there, remember Aaron a couple weeks ago, doula, is, he, he emphasized slave doula. It's the word doula gogo. I make my body a slave. All right? And in another translation, I punish my body and enslave it. And so this is one of these times in the New Testament that there's an affliction of the body. There's a discipline of the body. There's a giving our body a black eye. Nobody wants a black eye. Doesn't sound very pleasant. Not something that we just set a time of, of a holiday in the year so that we can all just punch each other in the face, you know. Uh, doesn't sound real pleasant. And yet discipline is necessary as a disciple of Christ, giving our body the black eye, making it a slave of Jesus. Scott McKnight said that if you discipline the body, or one might say that if you discipline the body, the spirit will follow. Biblically, we see that as we're disciplining the body, it puts our heart in a right place. It can put our heart in the right place when done rightly. It puts our spirit in a right place. Richard Foster uh, wrote a well-known book of, on, uh, on fasting. He's a professor of theology at uh, Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, uh, written many books. And he says this about the disciplined disciple. He says, the disciplined person is the person who can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Now, I can take a basketball and I can get it into the basketball hoop eventually, but I cannot take a basketball and get it into the hoop every time it needs to be gotten into the hoop. You see, I am not a disciplined basketball player. But this ability to have power to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done is so crucial in all of life. But it's never more central than in the life of the spirit. Because it's in this life, this life that impregnates and infiltrates and dominates absolutely everything else we do. It is the disciplined person who can feast when feasting is needed and can fast when fasting is called for. In fact, the glutton and the extreme ascetic have precisely the same problem. They cannot do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And so as Christians, as disciples... We want to be able to do what the Lord calls us to do when it needs to be done. Feasting, ice cream socials, pie eating contests, right? When it needs to be done, rejoicing and celebrating and fasting and mourning over sin and repenting and humbling ourselves and responding in the form of fasting when that is needed. 
Richard Foster, in all of his research, he said in about a 100-year period, in about 1860 to 1960, there wasn't a single full book written on fasting in that century period. And, and he says, it, and you look at the church and how the church has cast away fasting. And he asks the question, why is that? He says, a, a prevailing philosophy that literally dominates the American culture, including the American religious culture, is that it is a positive virtue to satisfy literally every human passion. That's kind of the American way of life, right? The pursuit of happiness. Any passion that your body wants, that your body needs, you go for it. You go get it. You deserve it. It'll feel good. It'll taste good. It'll sound good. At the tip of your finger to any time you want it. Fast food, drive through, don't get out of your car. Don't unbuckle your seatbelt. You know, don't call that. Per- you know, I mean, we have bought into that. And the church has bought into that, even to a sinful level. The developments in human history of unrestrained hedonism and pleasure-seeking, high indulgement and self-seeking in our own day historically comes from the 18th century where happiness was idealized. And in the 19th century, English ideology, where it was pleasure was the good for the people. Dallas Willard does a a study on that and how all of that pleasure-seeking, hedonism, pleasure being the good for people. Finally, it has emerged in the form of our feel-good society that we have today so that fasting has, as Arthur Wallace puts it, been cast down into some dark, deep corner to rust and to decay. And it's high time for the church to bring it out and polish it off and use it as God has intended as a means of drawing near to him and putting our passions in their right place. Andrew Murray wrote the book we're reading at the Pulse with Christ in the School of Prayer. As we read this last week, the chapter on fasting, we read, while ordinary Christians imagine that all that is not positively forbidden and sinful is lawful to them, and they seek to retain as much as possible of this world and its property, its literature, its enjoyments. This is written about 1880, so we could fill in the blank, you know, with everything else that we stuff our face with and stuff our ears and our eyes with that we retain as much of it as possible and then he goes on to say the truly consecrated soul is as the soldier who carries only what he needs into battle into warfare laying aside every weight as well as the easily besetting sin afraid of entangling himself with the affairs of this life he seeks to lead a nazarite life as one specially set apart for the Lord and his service. Without such voluntary separation, even from what is lawful and okay for us, no one will attain the power in prayer. And so we as Christians that are Christian hedonists, you know, just whatever we can please ourselves with at times, we need to remember, man, self-denial is good. Self-denial follows the model and the example of Jesus himself. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. 
John Piper said. He says, if you don't feel strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied with him. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great things. And I would say right now, if right now you're just like, I don't want to go, I have no need to fast, not even for the presence of God, not even to behold his glory. It's not because you've just beheld so much of his glory, your stuff will never be stuffed with it. That's what eternity is. Beholding his glory and worshiping him forever. That's heaven, brothers and sisters. That's heaven. I believe you're not hungry for his glory because you've been nibbling on so much of the world. You're full and you have no room for him. And so it's high time to fast. In some capacity, it's time to fast. It's time to kill the flesh. Daily, there's a battle to kill the flesh. Galatians 5.17 says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then Romans 8.13 says, But if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So this battle between the flesh and the Spirit, make no mistake, the Spirit is much stronger. The Spirit is empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the battle still remains. And we read in Romans 8.13 that it's by the Spirit that you put to death those deeds and those longings of the flesh. Galatians 6.8 says that if you were to sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you will of the spirit reap everlasting life. When was the last time you just quit sowing to the things of the flesh? Just all the activities, all the hobbies, all the food, all the parties, all the celebrating, all the, just the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. And you said, no. Time for you to be put on hold. Even the good things, even the non-sinful things. Time for you to be put on hold. Time for you to see who's in control, flesh. It's not you. It's the Spirit. And you sow to the Spirit. And of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit of God, you will reap everlasting life. Make no mistake, sexual desires are not our most deadly desires that need daily denial. Anger, rage, resentment, fear of man, discouragement, self-pity, self-promotion, hardness, envy, moodiness, sulking, indifference to suffering, laziness, boredom, passiveness, lack of praise to God, lack of joy in Jesus, disinterest in others, all daily need to be killed. And as we joked last week, fasting is slapping your flesh in the face and telling it who's in charge, telling it who's boss. As we look at fasting this week today, we look at a prescription from the heavenly doctor who's teaching us how to sow to the spirit. We're given a weapon by our army of the Lord commander and we're told how to wield it. A man who's a monk named Albert de Vogue, a Benedictine monk, has rigorously fasted for decades. He wrote a book that's title alone jars the mind of the Christian. The book is entitled To Love Fasting. 
to love fasting. And uh, DeVogue learned as he disciplined his body as a lesson for all of us. He said, fasting was no longer a constraint and a penance for me, but a joy and a need of the body and the soul. I practiced it spontaneously because I loved it. And I pray that God would move our church to that. Not penance, not something I've got to do. And gosh, that preacher, every year he comes around with these sermons on fasting. And No, man, that we would love fasting. We would love longing for the Lord. That we would love having the Spirit of God put our flesh in its place. Real quick summary of the biblical purposes of fasting. And I mean real quick, and then we're going to get in just some New Testament passages. Last week, we did an Old Testament survey. Today, we'll look at some New Testament passages. And uh, just real quickly, in the Bible, fasting is a sign of sorrow for tragic events or personal events. It's a sign of repentance and seeking forgiveness, whether that's national sin that, uh, you know, the, the whole nation would come together corporately to fast and to repent of sin or personal sins that we would fast and repent of. Uh, it's an opportunity of public exposure of sin. Fasting is an aid to prayer in God for other people in the Bible, for yourself, for success in battle for relief from famine. It's a means of personal or group devotion, something we're going to be doing this week, personal and group devotion together. Uh, fasting is a part of experiencing God's presence in the scriptures, whether that's supernatural sustaining by God or reliance on God in times of spiritual warfare. Fasting is a time of reflecting the reality of the absence of Christ in the world today and longing for his second coming. Fasting has been done just simply because people had spent so much time with Jesus. It had been three days and they hadn't eaten, we read in the Gospels. Excuse me. <clears throat> Fasting, as related to ministry, can be a way to prepare people for ministry, to have callings on your life towards ministry, Specific to, uh, command of God can be given during prophecy in times of fasting we see in the book of Acts. Uh, the fasting in the scripture can be suffering for the sake of the gospel. Fasting can be that suffering. And also in the Bible we see negative associations and correcting in our fasting. Perhaps people would fast while they're engaged in hypocritical actions or attitudes in the Bible. Fasting is a solemn binding for a foolish or sinful oath. This is bad, by the way. Uh, fasting could be broken when God has uh, not commanded it. A sulking refusal to eat. Or fasting could wrongly be attributed to the inability to eat because God's chastening, as we see in the book of Job. So just kind of a broad example of fasting in the scriptures. And just as we were going to quickly work through the New Testament and look at some of the examples of fasting today, uh, you might want to uh, turn to Matthew chapter 4. But one of the first signs of fasting we see in the New Testament is a, an 80-something-year-old woman named Anna, who was a widow from her youth and spent the rest of her life fasting and praying and serving God in the temple night and day. And we see that this widow who was a faster got to see the Messiah come to Israel. We see 
uh, as you turn to Matthew chapter 4, that fasting is preparation for ministry. In Jesus' life, Jesus shows that he pushed the limit in fasting. And in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, the first thing the Spirit does is, after the Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism, the first thing it does is drive Jesus into the wilderness uh, to be tempted. And Mark's gospel says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Doesn't sound dove-like, does it? (laughs) For the Spirit to drive Jesus to be tempted Uh, And to fast. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, verse 1, to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by the bread of uh, alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we have Jesus fasting 40 days and triumphing in fasting. Something incredible about this chapter is that we would not be saved and there would be no hope at all if he failed here. One preacher said, we owe our salvation to the faith-filled fasting of the Son of God. And that's why when we are singing the song, you overcame, you overcame, Lord. You overcame temptation. You lived a sinless, spotless life. We look to you. We look to your faith-filled fasting. And when he's tempted, Jesus refutes each tempting. He, He resists each tempting by proclaiming the word of God. What a lesson for us when we're tempting. We have scripture memorized and we would just you know, unleash a machine gun of scripture at the enemy. Jesus wields a sword that's drawn out of the scabbard of Deuteronomy each time he's tempted. In fact, after he's told, why don't you uh, turn these stones into bread if you're the son of God, he quotes, uh, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8. We're going to look there real quick. Jesus quotes uh, Deuteronomy 8, and and, uh, we'll look at some more of the context there where it says, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Interesting, 40 years, 40 days for Jesus and his fasting to humble you, to test you. You might, If you're there in your Bible, you might underline that. Humbling, there was a testing that took place to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, he allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus, in his fasting, identified with the people of God who hungered, as Jesus hungered. And yet Jesus arises victorious in the test as a victorious Joshua, a victorious Yeshua, or Jesus' name, Jesus. Different form of that Yeshua is Jesus. Tested in the wilderness, not to see if he'd obey, but to prove that he'd obey. Back in the 1800s, there's a story of the railroad coming across America And there's a giant gap, a giant gorge where a huge bridge was to be built. 
And the railroad company, after they built the bridge, they brought their heaviest, fullest locomotive and train, and they came and they just parked it there on the bridge. And people were freaking out, like, oh my gosh, why are you seeing if it's going to fall? Oh, that's so scary. And, and the, the owner of the railroad said, we're not seeing, we're not testing if it's going to fall. We're proving to you that it's not going to fall. And that's what happened with Jesus here. He isn't, oh no, what's going to happen? Oh. God the Father is like, behold my son, I'm well pleased with him. Go out into the wilderness, I'm going to prove it to you. That he's going to be obedient in all things. He's going to be tempted in all things just as you are. And yet he is not going to sin. And Jesus fasted 40 days of pain before three years of pain. And a life of 33 years of fasting from the rights and privileges of deity. A couple years ago, we preached a sermon here that was titled, Because He Fasted First. Why do we fast? Because he fasted first and he overcame. He didn't just fast these 40 days. He fasted the day he was born when he gave up those rights, those privileges of deity and humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For us, fasting is a test to see what controls us, to see what our bottom line passions are. Already, you're seeing what controls you. Already, there's battle going on inside you. Or as you've been preparing this week, you're like, no. We were driving home from uh, ice cream the other night. Yes, we went to ice cream two times this week. (laughs) And we're driving home and we're joking about how Lindsay and I were like, man, could you imagine the life of no cell phones? We we should just, yeah, I just got rid of my cell phone. Can I borrow your phone? You know, and we're just hypothetically have this funny situation in the front seat. And Russell, who was just playing on our phone like 30 seconds before, is like, you got rid of your cell phones? And then, and then does this, I don't know, like, you know, thing in the back seat. And we're all like, okay, we see what controls, you know, these playing the games. Like, Perhaps there needs to be a time of fasting from the phone this week, son, you know, and uh, already when we think of something being taken from us, we're like, you know, that's controlling you. That's not good. No bueno. Okay. You need to pray about spending some time without that or without them this week. Foster says more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who wants to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what's inside of us with food and with other things. We, we will see this week what owns us. It's going to start, and normally we suppress it, and we cover it up with food and with these other joyous things. And this is a week that God's going to show us what our gods are, what our idols are, what owns us. And we're going to be able to press into Jesus and have him take those passions away. What will you do? This week, when you don't have supper to look forward to, and day after day, you discover that you're going to have to go to God to get resources to to survive this week, or else you're going to have to think of some reason to quit fasting and go back to the pleasures of the world because you want them so bad. You know, and, and so often, you know, if I'm in a long meeting or sometimes I'm at church and I'm like, oh, hey, man, we've got like, we're going to do pizza this afternoon or something, and this little like, oh. You know, and there's like hope to endure through a long sermon or something, you know. (laughs) One pastor said that fasting is the handmaiden of fasting because you'll be like, yes, Pizza Hut after church. And she'll be like, hey, remember what's going on this week? 
you're not fasting this, or you're not pizza hutting it this week. You're gonna, you're gonna fast, and you know, and and the flesh will not like that. And you only have one option: either press into Jesus for strength and for pleasure and for just all sufficiency and joy and and fulfillment, or quit, quit pressing into God, and go back to the world. And go back to the things of this life. It's a good time of testing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, about liberties that we have, he says, man, I'm not gonna be ruled by anything. I don't want Pizza Hut's deep dish pizza to rule me or Wing Street's boneless buffalo wings. They can't own me anymore. I don't want my belly to be my God. And fasting is a time where we have food's mastery over us revealed. And so Satan comes to Jesus. And you know what? Satan is an incredible exegete of the Old Testament. He can take something, he's smart, he knows how to trick you, and he'll take something and twist it and it'll go a hundred miles in the opposite direction. In a sense, what Satan is saying to Jesus here is remember Deuteronomy. Remember how you were the manna from heaven. Remember how you were the rock that was split open and water. That was you, you are that. So why don't you just make some bread and feed yourself? And Jesus is saying, yeah, good argument. So close, and yet Satan it misses by a million miles. Yes, I was the bread. I'm that type in the wilderness. I'm the living water. And yes, I could satisfy my hunger right now, but Satan, you missed the point. The point of Deuteronomy 8 was don't need bread. Need bread. God. And that's what we're doing this week. We're saying, I don't need Facebook. I don't need those friends patting me on my back and liking every status and just looking at me all day long and me looking at them. I don't need that. I need you, Jesus, and your affirmation and your friendship. I don't need that sweet taste. Jesus, you are sweet. I need you. And fasting is not just saying it, Fasting is doing it. Fasting is not an option for the Christian. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he'll say things like, when you pray, don't pray like this, pray like this. When you give, don't give like this, give like this. When you fast, don't fast like that, fast like this. He doesn't say, if you happen to ever give at some point in your life, if you happen to pray, it's just optional, whatever, you know. He says, when you do it, when you do it, when you fast, don't fast for the pleasure of men, for the applaud of men. Don't fast that you would appear before men to be fasting. Don't look for man's approval. Look for God. Look to God. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17, fasting is not for old covenant or religious reasons, but it's for worship and intimacy with God. And we're just going to read this. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. 
No one puts a piece of unshrunk, unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Did you ever know that whole patch on the garment thing and that whole wine illustration that that's in the context of fasting? Jesus barely misses a beat before he says, hey, why fast when the Messiah is here? This is a time of celebration and feasting and enjoyment. Fast when I'm gone. Fast for my return. And then he goes on to say, you know what? The old covenant fast was a fast of ritual. It was a fast of religion. It was a fast of not having the kingdom of God be here yet. He says the new covenant fast, man, you can't combine the two. Now we fast not out of religiosity or for self-righteous purposes. We fast knowing Messiah has come. The kingdom is here. It's not yet, and yet it's here. There's a paradox there. There's some things we can partake of now. There's some things we long to happen when he comes back. But he says, fast when I'm gone. But fast the new way. Fast with the heart of rejoicing. Fast with the heart of love. Fast with the heart of response, not out of religion, like the Pharisee who was praying in the temple with the tax collector and the Pharisee boasted of all he did. And in his boastings, he said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I possess. They were fasting, but Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to listen to the prayer of the tax collector who comes in humility and just cries out, have mercy on me, God. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. He says, I listen to that. Don't fast like the Pharisee, self-righteous festival purposes. In the Didache, which was a first century tract passed around to the churches, the Didache in, in 8.1 said, do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites. They fast on Monday and Thursday, so you must fast on Wednesday and Friday. And so the hypocrite, you know, we get the idea that, okay, so no fasting. It's not no fasting, it's new fasting. Don't fast like the hypocrites. Fast with a longing for the Messiah. Fast in response to what he's already done. <coughs> One of the final things we'll spend time on this morning, and we are wrapping up, <coughs> is fasting to be used as a spiritual weapon. Mark chapter 9, <coughs> don't know what's going on here. <coughs> okay. I think it's embarrassing for you. Um, Mark 9:28. <coughs> when they'd come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, "Why could we not cast it out?" This kind, Jesus says, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You remember, Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a, some hubbub going on between the disciples and some Pharisees. And in the middle of the hubbub was a little boy with his dad. And the little boy was demon-possessed and, and would throw himself into the fire and, and was having seizures. And, and this dad just at this point of who can help, who can help. And, and, and this, this, this demon, these demons had this boy uh, in such a strong way that the disciples weren't able to, able to cast out the demons. And, and the Pharisees weren't able and so here comes Jesus. And Jesus, you know, as, as the man looks at him and says, can you help my son? 
And he says, if you believe, all things are possible. And the man looks at Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so Jesus commanded uh, this demon to come out and the boy was as good as new. And so the disciples just had that question. How come we couldn't, we've cast out demons before. It's kind of like our job description, casting out demons. Why couldn't we cast them out this time? And then that wisdom of Jesus, if I just read it again, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. In uh, Andrew Murray's book this week, we read about this. And, and Murray says, why couldn't we believe? Our faith has cast out devils before this. Why have we failed in believing now? The master proceeds to tell them, this kind goes out but not by, but nothing but by prayer and fasting. As faith is the simplest, so it is the highest exercise of the spiritual life, where our spirit yields itself in perfect receptivity to God's spirit, and so is strengthened to its highest activity. That's something we're doing this week, is we are yielding our spirits in perfect receptivity to God's spirit, where it's strengthened to its highest activity. This faith, Murray goes on, depends entirely upon the state of the spiritual life. Only when this is strong and in full health, when the Spirit of God has full sway in our life, is there the power of faith to do its mighty deeds. Faith needs a life of prayer in which to grow and keep strong. Prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. Prayer is needed for our faith life to be strong and we're doing great acts for the Lord. We're confident in him. We're moving by his spirit. We're walking in his power. That comes through times of prayer. We see that in the book of Acts and those times of prayer are heightened and empowered through times of fasting. R.A. Torrey in his book, How to Pray, said if we would pray with power, we should pray with fasting. This, of not, this does not, of course, mean that we should fast every time we pray, but there are times of emergency or special crisis in work or in our individual lives when men of downright earnestness will draw themselves even from the gratification of natural appetites that would be perfectly proper of, under other circumstances, that they may give themselves up wholly to prayer. There is a peculiar power in such prayer. Every great crisis in life and work should be met in that way. And later on he says, but there's power in the downright earnestness and determination to obtain in prayer the things of which we sorely feel our need that leads us to put away everything, even the things in themselves most right and necessary that we may set our faces to find God and obtain blessing from him. Do you find yourself in a time right now of extreme earnestness, a big decision that's coming up, whether you're to move, buy a house, buy a car, have more kids, your marriage is struggling, your kids are lukewarm and complacent or have no desire for Christ at all. You've just gotten the word of cancer or we've gotten the word of cancer in our church. We will press in with extreme earnestness and see power in prayer brought through fasting. In the case of this demon-possessed child, H.A. Ironside says, no one can have power over unclean spirits unless he's in intimate touch with God. Are you in intimate touch with God? To be able to work mighty deeds that he says are available for us today. I was reading this week of a, 
of a preacher named Johann Christoph Blumhard. I know. 1805 to 1880. He's a German Lutheran theologian, educated for the Lutheran ministry. And after several years of teaching in a mission training school, he became pastor at Motlingen, Germany. I think he said it more Irish than German. Malingem, I don't know. Um, in southern Germany, his career was uneventful until in 1842, he had to deal with one of his parishioners, a young woman, Godelbein Didas, who suffered some sort of severe nervous disorder and whose household was visited with strange psychic phenomena. Blumhart concluded that the case was of a kind of those reported in the New Testament as demon possession. After two months of pastoral care and reverent hesitation, discovering he had no wisdom or power that could help, he and the girl prayed together, Lord Jesus, help us. We've watched long enough what the devil does. Now we want to see what the Lord Jesus can do. This prayer battle continued for almost two years without change. The situation deteriorating, if anything, finally came the moment of crisis, a point when Blumhart's prayer and the girl's trouble were at a pitch. Godelbean's sister, who'd recently come under demonic attack herself, in a strange voice suddenly uttered the cry, Jesus is Victor! And, and it was all over. Godelbean later became a servant in Blumhart's household and lived there the rest of her life, never troubled again. Blumhart understood the voice of that to be, to be that of demons who had just been conquered and expelled. There is much to this story in which modern readers inevitably will look askance, as in a story that follows, but, it's much, but it is, must be said that both the Blumharts, both of the Blumharts were solid, unflappable characters with nothing of a fanatic about them if you'll permit me to read on. In fact, rather than doing anything to encourage sensationalism or a personal cult and centering around themselves, they regularly took deliberate steps to dampen tendencies. Even so, very strange and wonderful things were claimed to have taken place. Jesus's reported victory in the demented girl immediately triggered what would be known today as a revival. It was said that Jesus had transformed the entire village of Motlingen and attract people from miles around. It was claimed there were many healings, conversions of some of the church's most determined opponents, and radical transformations of lives and character. Marriages were said to be saved, enemies reconciled, and an outpouring of evangelistic zeal. Sounds exciting, huh? The, the, the freedom of a demon-possessed girl brought revival on a whole town. Well, what's that got to do with fasting? Interesting, in Andrew Murray's book, there's a footnote at the end of the chapter on fasting. If you'll let me read it, fat, uh, the worship team can come on up. <clears throat> and I'll close with this. <clears throat> Andrew Murray's footnote. At the time when Bloomheart... These are separate accounts, and so it's cool to see the, the mystery connected. At the time when Bloomhard was passing through his terrible conflict with the evil spirits and those who were possessed and seeking to cast them out by prayer, he often wondered what it was that hindered his answer. One day, a friend to whom he'd spoken of his trouble directed his attention to the Lord's words about fasting. Bloomhard resolved to give himself to fasting, sometimes for more than 30 hours, for refle uh, from reflection and experience, he gained the conviction that it is of more importance than is generally thought. He says this, 
Inasmuch as the fasting is before God, a practical proof that the thing we ask is to us a matter of true and pressing interests, and as much as in a high degree it is strengthens the intensity and the power of our prayer and becomes the unceasing practical expression of a prayer without words, I could believe that it would not be without power, especially as the master's word had referenced a case like the present. I tried it without telling anyone. And in truth, the latter conflict was extraordinarily lightened by it. I could speak with much greater restfulness and decision. I did not require to be so long present with the sick one, and I felt that I could influence without being present. And so where was the key? What was the key that took this girl demon-possessed for years and her family being demon-possessed in prayer and no breakthrough and no breakthrough? And then we read um, Andrew Murray's account that there was a friend in Bloomhard's life that says, you remember the passage about fasting and prayer, don't you? What a powerful tool it is. Well, yeah, I do. And, And fasted and immediately saw results, saw freedom. The woman was freed, her sister was freed, and that brought revival to the rest of the town. Now, we might not have demon-possessed people in our midst. We might. (laughs) And fasting and prayer could certainly show us. But we certainly have marriages that are in trouble in our body that might not last another month. We have children that are in a pivotal point in their life where there's a battle over their life of whether they're going to follow Christ or follow their own passions. We have decisions that need to be made, healings in our midst that we long for, people that are suffering, sin that needs to be dealt with and crucified and mortified, sin that needs to be killed. And so we sow to the Spirit this week through fasting and through prayer. And we encourage you to join us. Part of this week for us will be mourning over sin, sorrowful over sin that we've been a part of this last year. Responding to the word of God of how serious sin is. There's much to say. I have another six pages of notes today of just things that that speak to the power and the importance to fasting, but we'll examine them maybe next year. (laughs) Why don't we stand and we're going to close with song. And I kept thinking last night, Rory, what about the people that come that aren't even Christians tomorrow? And you're going to be talking about fasting. And I would just encourage if that's you, you're not a Christian, you're not born again, you're not saved. I'd encourage you You're probably not feeling compelled to fast at all, but if you are, don't fast for the purpose of making yourself right with God. If I just do this, then he'll love me. If I just do this, then he'll forgive me. The good news of the gospel is Jesus already did it. Jesus already fasted for you and he came out victorious. And now if you would just rest and believe in what he's done, you'll be forgiven. And you could be like Saul, who we know as Paul in Acts chapter 9, who when he saw his sin and what it's done to Jesus, he was blinded and he spent three days without food and water. And maybe that would be you. 
You see how much Jesus loves you. That he spent 33 years fasting from various things for your redemption. And you would respond in fasting to know him more. To experience him. And to show sorrow for sin. As we close in the song, just ask the Lord. Lord, how would you have me be involved this week? What could I fast from? What should I fast from? What is controlling me and owning me? I want to put it in its rightful place this week. And maybe for you, as we close in song, you would just lift up a hand in just response to the Lord and say, Lord, I came in these doors rebellious against fasting, just thinking it's just ridiculous. It's the weirdos do that. And and Lord, I just see that there's power when we press in. I see my sin and I want to spend time sorrowing over it and repenting from it. And just whatever it might be, if you just feel the Lord calling you to fast right now, one man said, it's easy to talk of fasting when the stomach is full. And so maybe right now, as your stomach is full, you would just say, Lord, I hear you right now. I hear you calling me to press in in this week of spiritual emphasis. And so I lift my hand to say, I'm in, Lord. Speak to me and show me how to do it. Let's close in song this morning. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.